Welcome to episode 533 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Team. Welcome on to episode 533 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How you going, mate? I am awesome, Bevan. And you? Oh, well, I'm, I'm pretty good. At, I was telling John before the show, I've hit my finger. And, yeah. Uh, so my finger's a bit sore, but it's all right. I'll survive. And, and the wife's yeah. home, John? Wives are home. Yeah. yeah. Bliss in paradise, So when, when did they get home? They got delayed by a day. I know. I missed if they're in New York. They, were, they got delayed by about... God knows how many hours, and they missed their flight from LA, so they had to hang out in LA for the day. Oh, so they missed their flight from LA as well? Oh, and because they got exactly. delayed. Oh. Yeah, so it was a comedy of errors, but Com- it's always better when those things happen when you're coming home. If you're going there, yeah. it's a bit of a stressor, you're missing out on holiday time, and you're coming back, it really doesn't matter. It's more holiday time. Although they, they spent seven hours in Coral Club, so I'm sure they got the return on the investment. Return on investment's always good. <laughs> That's very good. Hey guys, and then this week's show we've got some, uh, oh sorry, Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And let's name a few of them. Good old uh, James Corlett, and he is Coolio Corlett. Dez the Seagull Atkinson. What, what are you grabbing? What are you... I'll show you in a second. Okay. Uh, we're doing this by Skype today. Shane Reeves, Trendsetter. Natalie, the energy source Gaskin. She was uh, got a medal at the 70.3 Worlds yeah, last that. week or the week before. Fast, I think she was first female in Kiwi, which is an awesome effort. And actually, Shane Reeves, I know Shane Reeves, John, the trendsetter that he is, and he is a trendsetter. Do you know why he's a trendsetter? No, you tell me. Because he's coming over, he lives on the coast, he's coming over to Christchurch, she's going to a race called, what's the race called, John? City Sky Challenge. City Sky Challenge. Or the House, tra- house Travel Triathlon Festival. No, City Sky Challenge. Challenge. He's, doing, he's tr- setting a trend. He's bringing the whole coast over from John. Awesome. So there we go. And then we've got Steve Chamberlain Ward. Freaky son of a gun. So what, what I was grabbing, Devin. Can you see that? Yeah, I can see. I don't know what it is. That's your new uh, laptop case, your oh, Iron Talk nice. laptop case. Does it look cool? It does look cool. I've got one as well. So I've had a few people asking questions about the, the gear. They've seen a, seen a few of us out there in it. And we're going to do another order around Iron Man time, around Kona time. And we've got some new pink gear coming as well for the girls. So check it out. It's coming out. I and mean, you can get laptop cases, which are quite funky. And the people who have the gear, they say it's the best gear they've ever had in their whole entire life. Absolutely. Absolutely, John. Okay, John, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. We've got an interview. We've got Jim Lance back on. Vance, sorry, Jim Vance. Jim Vance, yes, and we're going to be talking running with power. So I think that's all an area that not many of us know a great deal about, and some of us are you know, a little bit sceptical about it, saying they're going to talking it up to be the next greatest thing, and they're going to be uh, life-changing, and we've already got kind of running with pace, so why do we need it? So we'll, we'll talk to Jim and see if we can get to the bottom of it. We've got a new segment, I see, John. There's a new segment, John's Science Corner. Oh, we started this last week. It was yeah, we didn't, we didn't call it the group. Science Corner. I tell you, it's yeah. Science Corner. It's pretty, pretty yeah. full on. Yeah, so no, it's coming up. It's and much the same as last week, to be honest. There's, there's quite a compelling amount of evidence when you actually start to dig into it, but I'll go into that later on. And this is because you're studying this right now, so basically we're doing your homework. 
Yes. Good to see. We've got some, we, we actually have no questions to answer at the end. We've got to do some patrons at the end, guys. News this week, and it's quite an exciting time because we are now in the Paralympics, and it's interesting in New Zealand, the Paralympics gets a massive amount of coverage. Like, uh, we've got a, a very good swimmer called so- Sophie Pascal, and on the news last night, she had, I think she was the second story on the news last night, her getting a medal, um, and just, you know, the Paralympics... It's not on par with the Olympics, but it's not far behind when we look at the coverage in New Zealand, is it? I guess it's really good coverage. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's 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 solid. So we had the first uh, the triathletes crowned. The males race was on over the last couple of days. I'm not quite sure when the females are actually racing, but they haven't raced yet. They may be racing today. I'm not quite sure. Um, one thing I always was confused about is the different classification. So it was quite good on slow twitch. They actually put um, what they were. So the PT4 classification is for mild impairment, and then you have the PT2, which is severe impairment and then the PT1, which is the, the wheelchair race. So uh, we had the winner of the PT1 was a guy from Holland in 59.30. So these guys are racing over a sprint distance, Jets Platt, and in front of another Dutch dude, uh, Gert Schnipper, and an Italian, Giovanni Ascenza. And they all did around sort of 59 minutes to to one hour. And then in the men's P2, we had a pommy, Andrew Lewis, take it out in 111 from Michelle Ferrani uh, from Italy. And then Mohamed Lahana from MAR. Would that be Mauritius? Maybe? I'm not quite sure. Not sure. Uh, and then the men's PT4, Martin Schultz from Germany, took it out from Stefan Daniel from Canada and... Jario Ruiz Lopez from Spain. So a really big spread of countries, which is kind of cool. So nice work to all the Paralympians. Well, I've got to say, they've got a photo on SoTwitch here in the article on it, and they've got and like a guy in one of those wheelchair bikes, uh, and then we've got the, a severely impaired guys, and there's two guys running along the street, a guy from well, wherever that country is, John Mauritius maybe, and then Great Britain, a guy called Lewis, and the guy who's well, you know from the Mauritius place, man, and that running looks like it's going to be pretty full on, doesn't it? It certainly does, because so his limb is all the way, looks like it's right all the, the way up right to the hip. hip. Yeah. Uh, whereas the guy from from Great Britain looks like it's sort of just above the knee amputee. So, um, yeah, you should have a wheelchair race, Bevan. That would be a good challenge for us. Well, it's amazing, isn't it? Because, like, when you think about our movement, we use big muscles to do most of the work for most of our movement. Now, swimming, you are using arms a lot more, but... You know, biking and, and running and stuff, you really are using those big muscle groups. Whereas those wheelchairs, it's all it's all upper body, torso and shoulders and stuff. And you kind of think mm. overuse injuries, mm. you know, because you look at the guys who do the Ironman, they're, they're pretty impressive when they're just on a wheelchair. You know, they're pretty fast because of, because of the run yeah. factor. But you just imagine kind of shoulder rotation for hours and hours on end. And to oh. train for that, it yeah. must be weapons, eh? Yeah. And uh, especially going uphill and stuff, downhill would be sweet, but going uphill, man, that would, in Kona, you imagine climbing up to Harvey in a wheelchair, um, you know, you, it's, it's not steep, but you don't really get a, a great deal of respite. Um, God, it'd be good coming down, but bloody hell, it'd be scary coming down too. <laughs> good. Well, you're so low to the ground as well, aren't you? So, yeah. you know, so, but, so awesome. I, I didn't actually get to see any of the rest. I'm not sure if they had any coverage in New Zealand. I think the other dynamic with this kind of racing is the strengths and weaknesses are probably a bit different. You know, there will be people who have quite obvious strengths and quite big weaknesses. And so it's probably a bit more exciting to watch as a race because it's not like everyone's kind of close. And then, you know, you know, there's just a bit, a bit of a fast finish at the end. It's actually a bit more of that 
people are probably moving through the fields based on their strengths. So I imagine it's quite exciting racing. Absolutely. Okay, John, we also had, we had some results. We had Challenge Armia happening. Yeah, 34th edition. So it's not the 34th edition of it being a challenge race. Um, they've had a, a couple there, but 34th edition of the El Mira Triathlon. So it's one of the longest standing races in Europe. So it's in Holland. I checked out sort of um, how many starters and finishes they had. They had around about 400 starters in the, the full distance race. Um, also had a quick look to see you know how challenge races compare to Ironman races, so because they've also got an Ironman Holland and Maastricht that was on not that long ago, and that was 550 euros to enter plus that stupid bloody 8% active fee. Is it 8% they charge? 8%? Yeah, 8%. And then uh, versus the the challenge race was 429 euros to enter, so quite a bit cheaper, and um, and you're getting a quality race with a lot of history. So, uh, yeah check out Challenge Almira. In terms of the winners, we had Jan Raphael take it out in a very impressive eight hours and three minutes. He swam 48, biked 4.18 where he set his race up and then ran a 2.52 to take home 6,000 euros. Uh, Dirk Wijnada from Holland was second, 8.14, and Marek Jaskolka from Poland was in third in 8.23. And then on the girls' side of things, we had a pretty good close race between Camille Delingi from France took it out in 9.18 from Miriam Weird from Holland in 9.20 and Simona Krivenkova uh, in third in 9.24. So only six minutes covering those first two girls. So good, good close racing. It's, um, I can't believe it's 8%, John. It's annoying, isn't it? That, that's a lot. Mm. You know, so 8% on what, on 550, is it euros? So you're looking at what, what's eight, yep. eight fives is 40. So you're, you're looking at 50 bucks just for fees, transaction fee. Mm. Wow, and then they probably take off the other end for the for the race organizers as well, isn't it? That act is mm. a good business to own. It is. Hey, yeah. maybe we should start, start a competition. Diversify. <laughs> Diversify. I'm talk brought to you by Active, <laughs> the Active Network. Okay, uh, I'm in Wisconsin also happened. Now, was it an age group race? It was a female pro race. Oh, I thought that was the case. They, they literally only just finished um so i just got an email through just to, just as we started recording and when i when i was uh, had a look earlier on liz lyles was not in the lead but she managed to overcome everybody on the run and uh, took home the female race in 9.33.47. she swam 102 bike 515 and ran 308 she was fifth overall um the first guys was clay emge from the states he was 907 kevin wright was second in 914 and eric Engel was third in 9.33. So, yeah, Liz Lyles, Liz Lyles was fifth overall. And in terms of second place, I know that Amanda Stevens was uh, leading when I was watching on uh, the bike. Uh, Leslie Millett was second in 9.43. Katie Thomas was third in 9.49. Alyssa Godski fifth in 9.53. And Amanda Stevens dropped down to fifth place in 9.58. I've got to say, John, just as you were reading out the results here, I'm just on the IMN.com website for the Wisconsin results. And I was just kind of going through the live blog as you were kind of talking. And I've got lots of photos. And I've got to say, now, this may not be a theory representation of what's really happening. But it looks like nobody's spectating this race, John. Yeah, I've got, I've got no idea. It's a, yeah, I don't know very much at all about uh, Ironman Wisconsin. Yeah, it's just like, now again, I'm just seeing the photos on a feed, but of, of all the women's run feed photos, it's literally like there's no spectators. 
like mm-hmm. a couple aid stations. So, so hopefully he's got a crowd because you know it makes a big part of the race. So you know, um, yeah. You think you think about a lot of races. There's a lot of races where there's not spectators in a lot of places. But yeah. you can't think you're taking your photos. You probably want to take them in the built-up areas unless you're incredibly scenic. Well, you, but you think with the lead lead person there would have been some. But hey, again. Not fair. Maybe someone can let us know if your race to Wisconsin was there much of a crowd there. We also had challenge. I mean, sorry, Ironman Weymouth. Yep. So that was the. I think it's the first time they've had it as an Ironman race. It was a no no pro race. Uh, we had Michael. Oh, this is going to be a good one. Yeah. Pod Podsiadoskowski. Yeah, we got yeah. from from Poland. Took it out. Um, Soren Cofield was second, and uh, Per Morta. Isson from Norway was third. So interesting that um, first four places, no palms. First palm was in uh, was in fifth place. So uh, good, well done. And um, we had a few guys I know that were over there racing. It sounded like it was uh, a nice, good conditions, really good, challenging bike course. Um, what they did this year is they had a seventy point three as well as the Ironman on the same day. And the guys that racing racing the Ironman at least in the towards the front of that race it was it sounded like a bit of a nightmare on the bike when you had to get past all the 70.3 athletes uh second lap sounded fantastic once they once they managed to get through so that's always something to factor in when you're going to a race that you're doing a 70.3 and an ironman you know having a look at where the start times are and whether you're going to have if you're one of the people that is going to be a front runner whether you're going to have to ride through you know big crowds and um if you're going to enjoy doing that on the girls side of things what close racing the, we had within the, with the girls top four in an age group race it was yeah. basically five minutes dividing them yes Pretty Sarah cool. Leakey took it out from the POM for the POMs 10 20 Elaine Garvison in second 10.34 you know good old Joe Carrot was down there in, yeah. um, in fourth place 10.37 winning her age group well done yeah, good times rock and roll. So that was challenge. I mean, sorry, I'm in Weymouth. I keep saying challenge. I'm in have announced Wanda Sports, Wanda Sports Holding Company, announced today that they'll be adding a new Ironman 70.3 to the Madison event uh, in Madison, which will take place, replace the independently owned Wisconsin Milkman Triathlon. The inaugural Ironman 70.3 Wisconsin Triathlon will take place on Sunday, the 11th of June, 2017, and joins the historic. Ironman Wisconsin race in heart of the state capital. So does that mean they're adding a race? No, it's not. No, it means you're just taking taking over another race. So it's kind of a bit sad taking over another race, but at the same time you could say, well, the race might not survive otherwise. So um, the Milkman Triathlon is no longer. So, John, in some ways we are kind of saying it's a pity all these races are dying. But then at the same time you've got to say, well, it's awesome Ironman coming on and fronting races up and making them successful. It is. Um, I totally agree with that, but it's nice to have some grassroots triathlons, you know, um, for the just Joe public to go and do. You know, not everybody has a spare 400 bucks to go and enter a half Ironman or 300 bucks. So it is nice to still see some races with a slightly different identity, a slightly different feel. So yes, I agree. Great that the race is going to carry on, but at the same time, it'd still be nice to see some uh, some different events rather than just getting the mcdonald's service everywhere but um good online i mean for picking up races that may well otherwise fall over and so one of the big races in america which has been a race around for a long time is the los angeles triathlon and it's been cancelled this year four days before the race and i watched a bit of a video clip on it john and it seems like a bit of an issue between the council and the race organizers 
sound like a debacle. Yeah, it Not, really does. I really felt for the race organisers. You know, they, they seem like a, a bunch that's been organising races for for a very long period of time, and it just sounds like they just got absolutely shafted by the councils. So, yeah, a lot of people will be putting the boot into the organisers of the Los Angeles Triathlon, but it sounds like they tried exhaustively to, 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 to resolve these issues, but it just seemed like they were getting shafted. And I think this is going to become more of an issue. It's just, it's hard for communities to have triathlons on and every Tom, Dick and Harry is going to complain. And I think a lot of the time we're going to see people just saying, oh, it's too hard. You're not putting your, your race on in this area because uh, it's going to interrupt, you know, 50 different households and on a, at nine o'clock on a Saturday morning. So, uh, yeah, it's a re- real sad state of affairs, I think. So tough luck for everybody who was going to be doing the LA triathlon. And also for the organisers, because that comes at a pretty big cost. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so, so funny story, John. So we're, we're, my running business is now in Wellington, and this morning we have a new group, and we've got a 10K group. So we do a K repeat session with them. We do it around a park called Waitangi Park in Wellington. It's a kind of a small park in the central city. And uh, one thing about Wellington is they don't need many parks. Like, it's really fascinating how many parks they have. But anyway, and it's kind of around this apartment building. And uh, which is right in the centre of town. And I don't think my runners are being that loud, but someone got pissed off from the apartment and took water over our runners from the top of the apartment. Nice. <laughs> it's cold. Nice. So we're going to have to change location, I think, for next week. <laughs> yeah, there's, 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 there's some running group in Christchurch, and they go and take over this park where a really popular <laughs> football ground on, on, a, on a Saturday morning when there's hundreds and hundreds yep, of kids right. turning up, yep. and all their runners turn up and take all the parks, so the parents get really pissed off at this yeah. running group. But I don't know where that – it's just some, some group yeah, somewhere Yeah, and hey, everyone in Christchurch pays for that park, so they're all allowed to share it. <laughs> Plenty of other parts. John's IT update. Oh, no, I'm in Wales. We've got I'm in Wales coming up. What's happening? I'm in Wales coming I love this course. I think it's fantastic. It's one of the races. It's on my hit list. I'd love to go and do one day. It's just classic old school stuff. Really challenging bike course, challenging run course. End of season. The weather half the time looks like it's going to be rubbish over there. I remember a few years ago, they had a really rough swim. So really like to look at, the, look at that course. Last, last year, we had uh, Jesse Thomas took it out in 8.57 um, by six minutes over Andre Vestica, and Anya Berenik took out the girls' race in 9.56. So when you see those times, they're you know, basically almost an hour slower than what yeah. those athletes can go on, 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 say, a really flat, fast course. So really good, challenging day at the office. And... Uh, this year, Alberto Cassandi is seeded number one ahead of Fraser Cartmel. We've also got Richie Nichols in there. I haven't heard of him for, for quite a long time. He was on fire a few years ago. Uh, Philip Graves, we always talk him up. He was a mm. blast in the past. Well, you led, led it Kona for a bit, didn't he? Absolutely. Yeah, on the bike. Yeah. And um, so a lot of guys, obviously this is all the non-Kona athletes racing. Uh, Diana Reisler is the second, is the fastest uh, seeded female athlete. Yeah. Fun. Caroline Livesley, she's going to race as well. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so I mention one other thing about um, Ironman Weymouth at the weekend. They had a 70.3 on there, and Harry Wiltshire, who we had on the show yep. last week, um, took out the 70.3 there, which is pretty impressive given he did Ironman Vici mm. a couple of weeks ago, and then he's backing up to, to Kona, so he's on a, on a roll. Got to say, um, got lots of good feedback about that interview, so well done on that. And it's people, you know, they loved him, which is great. Uh, John's IT update. We've got the grand final this weekend, Jonbo. It's it's gonna it's a big weekend. 
is a big weekend. So at the grand final, that really doubles as the a big age group race as well. You know, it's essentially what is the ITU World Long Distance Championships for age groupers. It's also the the finale for the elite athletes. There's uh, more points available, so you can see some pretty big swings in terms of rankings, and that does mean a lot. You know, in the in the Ironman world, rankings really don't mean much at all as long as you qualify for Kona, then it's fine. Same for 70.3. But with ITU, as I mentioned in previous years, there's some pretty significant uh, money available and it changes quite quickly. If you, say, have a bad race and you maybe go from second to fifth, uh, you can lose, you know, 10,000 bucks or something like that. It's it's, it's big. So you do get... um, In the Olympic year, do they count the Olympic race as a points race? No. No, it's it's a separate thing to this. Kind of cool if they did. Well, kind of cool, but it's also a little bit unfair on athletes that can't quite don't qualify for the Olympics. Oh, true, uh, yeah, that's so it's not cool. really yep. equal opportunity, which is a good point because currently sitting third in the rankings is Jodie Simpson uh, from Great Britain, and she did not qualify for the Olympics. So it's pretty amazing when you rank third in the world and you did, you weren't able yeah. to make your Olympic team. So currently on the female side of things, you got Flora Duffy uh, in the lead and Gwen Jorgensen in second place. So she's around about a hundred. She's got three thousand four hundred and ninety-one points as opposed to Gwen Jorgensen's three thousand three hundred and. 25. So I don't know exactly how the points sort of scenario um, pans out here because you, you, you've got to say it's highly likely that Gwen Jorgensen is going to win this race yeah. because it's a flat course, it's just going to be laps. Um, if a break gets away, it's probably not going to get that much. May do, never say never, but most flat courses end up coming together or not big big breaks, especially when they're non-technical. So I'd imagine Flora Duffy is going to have to finish very, very highly to, to hold on to that ranking. So she'd have to finish, I would imagine, in the top sort of three or four. Um, so you kind of think odds on Gwen Jorgensen to take it out. The interesting side of things is always what happens behind there, second through fifth. You know, we could see some some movement there because I think you can only count, um, I think it may be five races so you know you do see quite a bit of movement when you got bonus points on the last round uh currently jody simpson's third katie zaveris fourth and andrea hewitt ranked fifth and then on the boys side of things well just just one thing john so for those wondering why gwen jorgensen wouldn't be in the front of her five races one of them was a world cup race so she could only get 300 points maximum for that race which she got Uh, she's had a second two firsts and a third this year but mm. yeah, that, that point race there obviously hurt her a lot in the overall scheme of things. So that's the reason Flora Duffy's in the lead. On the guys' side of things, Mario Mola is leading the rankings on 3,940. You've got Jonathan Brownlee in second, Fernando Alazo third, Pierre Lacour fourth, and Jacob Bertwistle, the Australian fifth. And he's another example there of an Aussie that's doing having a fantastic season, a real up-and-comer to look out for, but he did, was not able to make the uh, Olympic team either. So, um, yeah, it should be good racing on the guys' side of things. You've got the, the Mario Mola, who had the massive disappointment of the Olympics, where he, um, you know, they got shut out by not being in that front group. And Jonathan Brownlee, who's you know still on fire, he went from the Olympics to winning a winning a race somewhere in uh, I think it was the Czech Republic the next weekend, and then the weekend after that, then he went off and, and won the the last round of the, the World Championship Series in Edmonton. So he's on fire. So um, yeah, could be could be an interesting one, and it could be re- it would be interesting to see what happens if Brownlee comes up against Moller head to head on the run so kind of looking forward to that Does certainly doesn't look like uh, Jonathan Brownlee I don't think is racing okay um, good time so oh, the Alistair Brownlee sorry Alistair Brownlee I don't believe is racing oh, Jonathan, okay. he is racing okay uh, Jumbo sponsor 
Athlinks.com. And as I said, um, Challenge Weymouth is no longer, um, but, but uh, it's now Ironman Weymouth. So yeah. for all you athletes, thankfully, Challenge, uh, thankfully, a- thankfully, Athlinks got the results still up there so you can still gather them and uh, that's something we constantly go on about is making sure you get your results up there because once the websites disappear they are gone for good but not on Athlinks and Paul Ransom from Great Britain he was the first uh, Pommy finisher last year at Challenge Weymouth in the Full in 9.57.27 closely followed by Dan Cole 10.01.09 and Steve Berry in third in 10.05.27 57. So well, Paul Ransom was the guys. guy who was the first Great Britain home this year. I think he got fourth. Yeah. At Ironman Weymouth. Ah. Yeah. So he's a consistent performer. Well, when he updates this, his, his, his stuff in Athlinks, then we'll be able to go on here and actually see how he uh, how he performs from year to year. On the girls' side of things, our first finisher ah, was Joanna Carrot. Oh, look at yeah. this. 10 hours and 50 minutes. And this year she finished about fourth overall or something like that. It's all go, go, John. It's all go. But if we were on the Ironman website, we wouldn't be able to know this stuff because the results won't be there. Oh, listen. Oh, yeah. Sorry, keep going. I wasn't listening. Well, say that again, John. What, what, what are you listening to? What are you focusing on? I was looking at our Facebook page preparing for the next piece. But uh, you were saying? I was just looking at Zania Morrison's riding up on Alpe d'Huez and Ironman Talk Tuesday. I thought she's looking pretty cool. Yeah, she is. And she wants to get the new, the new Ironman Talk stuff. So we'll look forward to that. So guys, check all your, uh, get all your results up on Athlinks. Oh, Bevan, I found my uh, Laguna Phuket results. Somebody flicked me through on, uh, and I'll, I'll mention this, I've, I've got it down for next week, I think. They flicked me through, I managed to find my a set of results for the Laguna Phuket triathlon. They disappeared everywhere. Somebody somehow managed to find them on some bizarre web link, and uh, and so it can go down in history. So I've submitted that to Athlinks. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go down. Is it call. the Peter Reid race? Yes. Okay. Because well, you, you go to the Laguna Phuket Triathlon page, results are there for every year except for the bloody year that I did the race. But I managed to find them. Well, what I want to say, John, is what I want someone to do then. If someone's done that much detailed work, I want someone to find my Tim- Timaru Triathlon result from back in, <laughs> which would be. Timaru Triathlon's got a um, website, so. Yeah, but I don't know if they, the, the results back going that far back. Because yeah. I did Timaru Triathlon, I'm pretty sure I did like a. A thirty-minute run job. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, now, it might have not been accurate, but uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see. So, I'm going. If someone can find the old, I'm sure there's a listener. If someone can find the old Timaru results, then mm-hmm. send them through to me. Anyway, uh, Jumbo, let's take a look at this week's discussion. So, last week's discussion was: Do you like the direction that seventy point three is heading? in the sport basically with this whole idea of the world championships in particular the whole idea of the worlds are becoming a bit more about lots of slots lots of participation maybe to the detriment of making it an elite field so what are your thoughts on what the world championship should be uh good old paul lunt reducing the numbers will reduce the congestion which equals less cheating why doesn't wtc just scrap the whole slot allocation system in lieu of a point system similar to the pros that way we can introduce as many races as they like but cap the number of entries for the world champs the only problem would be how to distribute the slots across the genders and age groups Mm, and kind of for us kiwis and stuff we got one race Yeah, true. We've got Ruth Purbrook, and she's got, um, having completed at the weekend, agree with some of the events above, uh, comments above, sorry, 
numbers were already too high and a few 70.3 events I did it was rolling down a long way limited to percentage of the winner's time have less people and think more about the wave start times have more marshals out there busting the pelotons some were over 50 people wow that's pretty crazy that's a really good idea I like this kind of idea of you have to be in a percentage time of the winner Mm, yeah, I agree cool. with that. Yeah. Uh, Craig Compton, the Sunshine Coast was a great spot for the race, but there were too many athletes competing. The first half of the bike on the motorway was ridiculous, with most of the guys trying to keep the draft distance but struggling to do so. They should look at the wave starts and have larger breaks between them to give us half a chance of a fair race. The other reality is that you only had the bit. The only the other reality is that you only had the best athletes there who have the cash to get there. This is the case for most who flew in from the Northern Hemisphere. Okay, good old Dana Spencer's got a point system similar to the pros would be ideal. Consistent racing over many events is far more indicative of a good athlete than some one-off performance or nabbing a slot simply by going to the roll down when all others have headed home. As for number of athletes on the course, people need to realise that WTC is a business and aren't looking to do anything other than maximise their profits. There is a reason they have got a top dog in town. If you want a low participation, non-drafting event, go to a local race and get no competition. Kylie Cox from Christchurch. I wouldn't want, it, uh, wouldn't want it dumbed down by more slots as someone working towards qualifying as part of a draw card. That is a challenge. The drafting is a major issue. For New Zealanders with only one internal qualifying race, it feels pretty competitive to get a slot. So I'd agree with that. In New Zealand, to get a slot to go to Australia this year was, was quite hard. You go one selection race. If you go elsewhere in the world, for people that don't know, in terms of other 70.3s that I've been to, it rolls a long way and a lot of age groups. I'm going to get in Nick Hutton. He's got large numbers of poorly performing age groupers. <coughs> was further evidence that WTC Ironman is ultimately a business with shareholders who are looking to gain for returns. I was out training 20 kilometers up the river coast and rode and ran faster than the bottom 50% of the age group, having done no, not a serious triathlon in over three years. They can move it whenever they, the hell they want to, but make it for elite age groupers only. Mm. Who, who did the positive one? I had to read a positive one earlier on. Who was that? Uh, I'll do one more. Even still, it's not a championship if there is no qualification process and just another 70.3. Limited to the fastest 100 spots per age group and a top five result makes you eligible. I also think the wave starts added to limited... I also think wave starts added to limited spots would reduce the chances of a draft-a-thon. There is no reason why the same venue could not host a regular part uh, participation event separately to allow numbers to make it viable. Okay, and I'll finish up with Sam Brown. World champs should be about camping. <laughs> Not quite sure what he meant. <laughs> so there you we do go. Do get the odd bizarre. Well, world bizarre. champs camping, camping. Oh, more ca world camps. He's got. Oh, okay. Okay, there we go. Um, your Evan, do you like on? the direction it's heading in? Uh, do I like the direction? Well, the obvious answer is no. You know, because you want... At the so negative. God, you're negative. Oh, you're <laughs> coming from you. Um, no, I think it's a really hard one because the problem is you, unless you can make it in a really appealing race like Kona, because the thing about Kona is it is that golden ticket. It is that, that triathlon experience that everybody who, you know, everyone kind of, anyone who's done a triathlon, well, not anyone, but... Majority of what we'd call real triathletes want to do Kona at some stage in their career. Now, a lot of people that's not possible, but a lot of people that is. And so the the, the idea of getting to Kona, 
it's almost the history and the prestige of the race is actually more appealing than the world championship. You know, that, that Kona has that kind of mana about it that really makes people want to go and do that race. And so people will give life and limb to, to go and do Kona. And so if they get that qualification, they're always going to take it. Whereas the 70.3 World Championship hasn't, doesn't have that prestige about it. And so, you know, in some ways, if the race had the prestige, maybe this wouldn't be a problem. Because let's say 7.3 had the prestige and history of Kona, well, then people would take the slots. And so you go to a 70.3 race and those races would be sold out in no time because everyone's like, man, I want to go do this race. Whereas because this race doesn't have that appeal yet, and maybe that will happen over time, what we're seeing there is people often who have just waited around long enough. And so in that way, the field isn't really representative of the best field of triathletes that we can get at a 70.3 World Championship. At the same time, you're never truly going to get that because obviously different locations will limit different people and, and costs and so on. But to me, I think it would be nice to, to think that this race really was the best of the, you know, like if you go to Kona and you race at Kona and you've qualified, you do go to the start line knowing that you are racing with pretty much everyone out there is someone of, of an elite level who's got there in that field. And I don't know if you could say, or you can't say that at 70.3 yet. And over time, it would be cool to see if they can do that. Now, how do they do that? I do like the idea of saying you have to be finished within a percentage time of the finisher. It doesn't just roll down. I do kind of like that. I think that's kind of a cool idea. Um, and other ways of doing it. Limiting fields is good, but I'd never see that happening. So, yeah, some thoughts there. Yeah, look, I think by and large they are heading in the right direction. Um, so I'm, I'm Mr. Positive, Bevan. I, I think they're doing some good stuff. There's still things they need to need to tweak. So the last couple of years um, we've seen the course move around from Mont-Tremblant to over to Europe and uh, into Australia. All three locations, I thought the courses looked really, really good, good fair courses, um, different challenges at, at all of them, which was great. Um I think probably one one thing that, that uh, there was lots of positive feedback from last year. Probably the one thing that really um, annoys me a bit about this race this year was they were using a new course. It was the same venue that they've used before, but they changed the bike course significantly. And because of that, that it was untested. Uh, then I had two athletes that went the wrong way of quite a lot, and that just should not happen at a um, a championship race. The athletes should know better, but it still shouldn't really be. You shouldn't be able to do it. You're always going to get one or two, but when you're getting like 50 odd, it's um, you, from an organisational point of view, you've done something wrong there. So I think that was a real error with um, with Malulabar, and I agree mostly that. I think the quality control need, could could be improved in terms of reducing the roll down. The roll down is really cool at Ironman. It gives everybody that little glimmer of hope, but it just seems that the some of the seventy point three races that I've been to, so Kona for example, they just say, okay, anybody else in this age group who wants to go to the seventy point three worlds, come up the front, yeah. um, and you get, basically everybody gets a slot. So I'd really like to see that eliminated in some ways. So whether that's a percentage thing or there's there's one slot per age group that's maybe a, a lottery draw, because I do like that element of of everyone having a little bit of a chance but when you get you know three quarters of the people in an age group that qualify um who, who are well off the pace and i don't think that's that's in the best interest of, of developing a, a quality championship race so i think by and large heading in the right direction just a few little tweaks there it's never going to be kona it's not it's just not gonna it's not going to happen i don't think and that's it's it's wishful thinking if we think we can get there but i think each year year on year i think there's there is a bit more prestige around this race so i think they've done a good job because when it was a 70.3 in florida it was a joke well the other thing is is if like if we look at kona 
and we say that the age groupers who have qualified to get there are pretty much in the top 10% of triathletes of their age group, really, maybe 15%, mm -hmm. you know, to have qualified to get to Kona, you can, we can guarantee we're going to say that the top 15% of all Ironman triathletes in their age group are probably racing on that day, whereas at the 70.3, you probably could go as low as 50%, some 50% are probably racing in that race, and so, you know, but yeah, and 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 that's and that's the other thing as well. And the problem with this, the way it's happening, and again, you are you really even if you win the world championship at seven point three, because it doesn't have the appeal of a Kona, is that the same as winning a Kona world championship? Ah, oh, never. It won't be. It never will be. But it's 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 getting better. But but the thing is, that the seven point three is the bigger market. So how do they make that's the bigger question? Because when we look at triathlon. They make more money out of seventy point three. I guarantee it. They'll make more money out of seventy point three. So, and when we think of participation, that's actually the bigger market. And so, that should be a responsibility. That how do they make it in a way where you, when you stand up on that seventy point three podium, which not taking nothing away from anyone who won it, won it, because obviously you're you're a rock star, but that it actually is. How do they make it so they can get the top people to these races, so that you can say, no, I am the best in the world on this in my sport. Yeah, I think they're. I think they're doing the right things at this stage. Um, I'm, 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 giving high, I'm giving some high fives to WTC. I think you're heading in the right direction. Can't change these things overnight. And I think from an elite perspective, and I think that will always help draw better age groups, age groupers to a degree. They're doing a fantastic job. You know, the, the standard of the elite field is awesome. Uh, the last few 70.3s, they have been getting the majority of the best in the world to come along and race. So I think over time that'll help draw a few more people um, to come across because it just gives the whole event a bit more credibility. So, um, yeah, I'm giving them the thumbs up. But need to test, test that they need to make sure that the courses are really, really bulletproof Definitely look at wave starts in terms of spreading things out a bit more and um, and just reducing those field size slightly with a little bit better quality control, and I think they'll be on to a winner. And do we hear that next year's going to be a two-day? Uh, I'm almost positive. I don't, I'm almost positive it is. It's, it definitely is either next year or the year after, but I'm pretty sure next year it so is. So this is a step in the right direction as well because they'll help drafting as well. Because drafting's still the big issue because you see those picks from Malulabar and they were picks. So Yeah, but yeah. look, that's, that's just going to... To a degree, that's a reality of racing these days. You know, I had the JD Duath on last weekend, and I was just talking to the Holy Hammer. Draft fest, I heard. Right. It was just a draft fest. <laughs> well, it was. There was there was there was drafting out there, and this is like sixty. You know, we, we had probably I don't know how many we had all together, but it was probably a hundred, hundred to hundred and twenty. But in the main race, it was probably like sixty starting together. Um, a big spread of abilities, and still drafting out there with that many people. So, um, it's uh, if you've got a any size, decent sized race is going to have some element of drafting unless you choose an absolutely crazy course. I'm not yeah. saying it's right. Yeah, but because because you're you're accepting that then, then that what you're saying there. Uh, to a degree, yeah. Because to, to, to me, a in a world championship, we shouldn't accept that. I get it, and I get it. Any other race around the world, but if it's a world championship, if you're a shit swimmer and you can draft up through the field. It's so unfair. In, in a world championship, there should be a bigger responsibility to having a field size where drafting isn't an issue. Who would want to be an official? Yeah. But you, 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 know, you know what I mean? Like, imagine if, like a guy like me, imagine if we were racing of, in our time and I was drafted up to you and beat you because of that. That would, you know, it's unfair and you you have been ripping your undies about it, I'll tell you very much. Okay, this week's discussion. You'll be ripping your undies too. <laughs> Back it up. Okay, this week's discussion. Who is going to be the breakthrough into the top five for this year? So, because most years you're going to get the, the two or three who we predict will be there Kingley, 
Frodo and those types of people in the guy's side and, you know, uh, Reef and Rennie and those in the gills. But every year we get that kind of, you know, the straggler, well, not the straggler, but the kind of surprise top fiver. So we want to see who's going to be your top five, the person in the top five that maybe we wouldn't have picked before the race to be the breakthrough person in both the male and female's race this year. Mm. Good time. There you go. We'll find out. Give us your answers and we'll talk about it next week. Okay, John Bo, let's have a look here. We've got Jim Vance coming up. So Jim Vance has brought out a book on running, on the power of aspect in running. Run with Power, the complete guide to power meters for running by Jim Vance. So there we go. We'll, I'll be talking to Jim right now and you'll be able to hear all about it. Okay, here we go. Jim Vance. Okay, guys, we're going to be covering a topic that uh, a lot of us don't know a lot about. It's uh, the running revolution is here, apparently, and we've got Jim Vance, who's a elite coach for TrainingBible.com. He's been a top um, pro athlete himself and now coaches athletes all around the world and the found, founder and team director of Formula Endurance. So we've had Jim on fairly recently talking about a variety of topics. So welcome back to the show, Jim. Hey, thanks for having me. Right, running with power. Um, I'm kind of scratching my head trying to make sure that we make sure that we don't dumb this down too much because um, I think a lot of people are familiar with with bike power and the terminology we use around that with normalized power and and stuff like that. But uh, I I don't think there's very many people out there either running with power meters or if they are, um, it's a bit like the early days of, of bike power meters, not necessarily sure what they should be looking for. So we'll try to get to the bottom of that. I guess for a lot of people, the first question they have is, um, where is the power actually being measured? Because with cycling, you can kind of think, okay, this is pretty obvious. It's either either being measured at the through the pedal or the crank arms. Um, but with, with running, um, where are they actually measuring and how are they actually coming up with these numbers? Sure. Uh, I think I think to really understand that it, you have to understand what it's what it is trying to measure. Um, power is simply a work rate. So work is simply the equation for work is just force times distance. So you apply a force, you move a certain distance. So if I if I apply a force into a wall and that wall doesn't move, distance was zero. No work has been done. My force might be high, but no work's been done. If I if I'm moving a heavy box and I apply a force to it and it moves one meter, well, then I've done work. I've moved that box. On a bike, we're measuring we're measuring the bike actually being moved. With with running, when we run, we apply a force into the ground and that that lifts us up in the air and moves us forward, generally speaking. So, what we actually have is unlike <laughs> Unlike uh, on a bicycle, we have we have power that that lifts us off the ground, up in the air, and forward. Uh, on a bicycle, the the cranks measure that force that's applied. Well, with with uh, depending on the technology you're using, which products that are out there, uh, one's a sensor. So that's that's the company Stride, which I think is most people are, are who are aware of uh, running power meters are probably most aware of. Stride uses sensors that measure and say, okay, well, if you're you're a mass of X, let's say let's say you're 50 kilos, mm -hmm. so and you apply a force, well, and you move a certain distance, it understands, okay, based upon your mass and the distance you went, what must have been the force required to go that distance. So, 
they have an algorithm that does that. So it's it's pretty good actually. Um, mm. And and now they I know that Stride even has a new product out that's that's on their foot, the FootPod version. So they used to have a sensor that was stuck, uh, not stuck, but really in the it was worn on a heart rate strap, and and right there on the uh, in the center of the heart rate strap. So. For those athletes that don't like heart rate straps, now they have a foot pod, mm-hmm. and and much like you know, much like the you know, well the heart rate strap actually measured the center of gravity, the center of their mass, and how it moved through space. And it has, I want to say, it has six accelerometers in it, so it can measure all these different directions. Um, but these biosensors that understand, okay, if if this if this move if this movement in this direction happens, then this is you know this is actually what happens. So they've they've proven that with their sensors, and then they've done a lot of force plate recognition, uh, force plate testing to recognize uh, how close they are in their values uh, based upon estimation of the force uh, through through that movement. So so that's Stride. Um, that one is an algorithm that measures based upon movement through space, and the other one, RPM squared, is an insole in your shoe, and it actually measures directly the the force applied into the shoe. So one is kind of like this, just this algorithm that measures and, and I don't want, I guess you could say it estimates. I mean, Mm. I guess that's, that is how it is. And the other one measures more directly, but of course there's still, there's still an estimation in everything. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, even, even SRM has to estimate to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so that's kind of how, how and where power is being measured for running. And and I guess this is a question you probably get asked a lot, but um, a lot of people are sort of asking the question, why power um, over pace? Because obviously when you're out cycling, there's a lot more variables with, you know, gentle inclines, um, wind, etc. that that influences your your moving speed fairly significantly. But when we go out running, most a lot of people listening are going to have GPS watches and they can run along when they're on the flat and be pretty confident in the in the speed that they're running is is appropriate for the intensity they're looking for. If they go into hills, we know it's a it's a tightly different story so that's a question a lot of people have asked me and uh, and sort of on Facebook and stuff is why power over pace and what and what are you going to gain well that's a great question and I think if, if if people read the book they'll find that I'm not saying power over pace mm. because in general speed is what it's about how mm. fast do you run it doesn't matter how many watts you produce. It measures. It, what matters is how fast did you go. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. even on the bike, exactly. We have we have athletes that can put out more watts, but that doesn't mean they're faster. They can have this beautiful power file that's so impressive, but it, were they still the first one? You yeah. know, were they still the fastest? And that's that's really the question. So, so I'm not I'm not saying uh, when I wrote this book that pace is now this obsolete metric. Mm-hmm. In fact. Um, in fact, if anything, what what we've done with power data is we've enhanced pace as a metric, mm-hmm. because pace, as you as you know, you know, just because you're running slow doesn't mean you're running easy. Mm-hmm. I can run up a very steep hill, and that does not mean because I'm running a slow slow pace that I'm that I'm not working hard. Mm-hmm. So so that's the first thing, and 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 uh, vice versa with a downhill. If uh, if I'm just because I'm running downhill at a very fast speed doesn't mean I'm running hard. So so what power is able to do is power is able to give us more a measurement of the actual work that we're doing. 
uh, or how hard we're working, the work rate that we're actually doing for that pace. So really the key concept isn't, isn't power. The real concept is speed per watt. You know, how, how hard do you have to work? How much work do you have to do? You know, how many watts do you have to produce in order to run the pace that you're running? So now it gives us more more of an indication of how how efficient of a runner you are, so to speak. Um, some might use a different term, like a, how effective of a runner you are, which is fine. But I, you know, I prefer the term efficient uh, because I think most people can, most runners can grasp that concept. So, so the answer is not that power over pace. The answer is the relationship of the two, mm-hmm. and how really now you begin to understand the, what the quality of a runner you are based upon how hard you have to work for a certain pace. Now, one of the areas that you mentioned in the book, and and I know Bevan wanted me to ask you about this, is you talk about the different types of power, and you kind of alluded to this a little bit before, but you mentioned sort of horizontal power, vertical, and and lateral, so the different movement planes you're on. So maybe if you can just go into that a bit more and how um, the power meter can actually assist you in in measuring those different um, sort of planes of movement. Sure, sure. Uh, this is this is really the this is where cycling power and running power become completely different concepts. Uh, when I when I started sitting down to write this book, I really was thinking, oh, okay, well, it's just going to be like cycling power and da 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 da. And and I really and I began to very quickly realize as I researched this and learned about power for running and the products that whoa, this is entirely not like cycling. Um, we have we have three planes that we that we measure power in. The first plane is horizontal. That's forward and back, basically. So, so I think most of us are used to thinking about that. That's that's kind of how we think about cycling. I produce, you know, the more watts that I'm producing horizontally, the, the faster I'm going forward. Would would make sense. But but there's a concept in in running that isn't in cycling, um, and that is the vertical power concept in running we must lift ourselves off the ground in order to run if we're not lifting our feet off and our body off the ground then we're not really running we're walking so for there's this vertical oscillation which is a term a lot of people a lot of runners know about and are and and consider important as a metric but this vertical lift that we have to, to bring us forward is not necessarily, it kind of has this, uh, this range of, uh, this point of diminishing returns rather, this range of benefit. So obviously if I'm standing in place and I'm jumping up and down as high as I can, I have very high vertical power, but I have, if I'm not moving forward, then I have zero horizontal power. And that's an extreme example, but it gives you an idea of vertical power, horizontal power and that relationship. We need to have this vertical power component in order to help to get ourselves off the ground to move through space horizontally. So vertical power is a value which we need, but we definitely don't want too much of it. Now, that said, when we, when we run up an incline, the steeper the climb, the higher the vertical power because we need that, that lift to bring us forward. We have to go higher in order to go forward further on the ground. So... So vertical power is is an up and down measurement. Horizontal is forward and back, and then lateral would be side to side. Mm. 
um, some people may think, well, what's lateral? Well, if you ever see somebody who maybe is very, well, actually a better concept of lateral power when, when you would want lateral power would be the curve of a track because now you're actually trying to move sideways. The steeper the curve, uh, then, then the more lateral power, maybe, maybe you're running in a road race and, and there's a turn, a U-turn, you're going to have very high lateral power, uh, at least for a brief moment. Now, when I'm running forward, I don't want high lateral power. When I'm running forward on a flat course, I don't want, I don't need significant vertical power. So that's where, again, and that brings me back to kind of power and pace, that speed per watt concept, because there comes a point where more Watts is not better. Having high vertical power does not does not more vertical power does not give me more speed generally speaking. Mm-hmm. So, so that speed per watt concept is is uh, is very significant and important uh, for for runners to really understand. Okay, am I producing too much vertical power, or or maybe they have this high power value and they're not running very fast. Mm-hmm. So now they have to ask themselves, okay, well, what's going on here? Well, maybe that is that vertical oscillation. You're producing too much vertical power. Maybe you have very high lateral power in your movements, and biomechanically you're not very efficient. So so that's where that's where now we're totally different than cycling. Because on a bike, whenever I whatever whatever number I see on the on the power meter, that as long as that number's bigger, I'm I'm golden. Mm. that's that's what i want i need higher higher power numbers i know that i'm that i'm going faster but that's because the the power meter on the bike is only measuring effective power to move you forward in running a running power meter is measuring all your movements in in all in all three planes and trying to figure it out actually i say in all three planes there's two types of power meters there's 3d power meters that's stride where they do, they measure in all three dimensions, and then there's the RPM squared, which is a two-dimensional power meter. It only measures horizontal and vertical power, because it basically realizes lateral is a very very small small amount of uh, of power that's generally produced within within running. So so it doesn't really take it into account mm. at all. Because I think we can we can all when you when you're talking about that I think we can all picture the different types of runners you know I can think of people who come on camps who are very bouncy runners and a lot of that sort of vertical up and down movement and then uh, I can immediately picture some other runners there who have a lot of movement through their their upper body so you can definitely sort of see the applications when it's actually a case of um, obtaining those figures in terms of the platforms. So that does that does that basically give you those three different values, and you can kind of average it out for different laps? Or how how is that data actually presented, and and how do we start to analyze it? Well, the data in general right now through the through the power meter companies is presented as total power. Hmm. So so that's where the speed per watt uh, comes into comes into play in terms of understanding understanding what the what the actual you know value or the efficiency of that number is how how much speed are you producing for those watts um you can look at you could you could potentially and certainly stride and rpm squared could break down uh the vertical power versus horizontal power Mm -hmm. value but um you know and, and display those separately but i'm not sure it would really matter that much because it's all circumstantial in in the situation that you're in so uh, what I mean by that is, uh, you know, if you're running on flat versus downhill versus uphill, uh, you know, you, you, would, you would definitely want, you know, that would change your vertical. 
But I do think there is the potential here, John, that in the future what we'll have is we'll have we'll be able to know a vertical or a vertical power relative to horizontal power ratio to give athletes a specific thing to work on or to stay under. Like on a flat course, you really let's say like you said, you know, you can picture a runner, mm. picture a runner that has that really bobs up and down a lot. Well, you'd be able to show them. Uh, based on a vertical power to horizontal power ratio or relationship, how much they're losing potentially or overproducing in vertical power that could go to horizontal. And then as they make changes to their technique, maybe maybe they're going to change their body position to more of a slightly forward lean. Maybe they're going to change their cadence. Maybe they're just going to try to focus on not going up and down, whatever, whatever they're, they're coached to do, so to speak you'd be able to show them real-time feedback or, or objective feedback to say, look, this was really effective in terms of, of changing that vertical power to horizontal power ratio more in your favor that gave you more speed and you know, without necessarily having to look at it from a pace perspective. You know, it, maybe, maybe it doesn't even change the pace. But if I can reduce the vertical power and keep the same horizontal power and the same pace, well, now that athlete is doing less work to hold the same pace, which makes them more efficient. So it becomes a, you know, it, there certainly is this potential, but right now we're still so new in this, we don't even know what what that ratio is, uh, especially based on a number of number of factors from the, you know, what the what what's the actual terrain they're running on, you know, it's incline or decline, or if it's flat, um, just their own their 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 own size and mass. Um, the, their cadence is obviously going to play a role in that. Uh, so there's there's so much, and that's that's really the exciting thing about this is is it is still new technology, and we're learning a lot. Um, so for people that don't know, is this just a device that can like a, a bike power meter? You can basically pair in with your your Garmin devices or whatever other device, or do you need to be wearing a separate watch? So you've got your Garmin for your pace, and then you've got a separate watch for your um, for your power meter. No, no, no. Thankfully, thankfully, <laughs> we've uh, we've gotten away from that. <laughs> yeah, gosh. I can tell you when I was when I was running with the first models, I literally had I had like a Garmin on in cycling mode. Because I was I was actually running with both power meters, and I had I had a Garmin in cycling mode to carry the power, and then I had a GPS watch on the same wrist to because yeah. I wanted because cycling it gave me well here in the states it gave me miles per hour it was yeah. all it would give me and I I did not want to try to do that math in my head, so then I had one that was a give me pace in a running mode, and then I had uh, then I had my phone that was uh, that was uh, connected via Bluetooth to the other thing, so I'm literally running around with with a phone and two watches yeah. and two power meters trying to figure it out and balance the information. It was it was comical, yeah. but no now uh, I know that Stride has has announced a you know I mean Garmin is the is the main uh, market has the main market share, so certainly uh, pe- a lot of people want to use it for them. And Stride did come out with a Garmin IQ app that allows runners to use the the newer Garmins in run mode uh, and and be able to display power. Right. Older Garmins are that are that are cycling compatible. Sorry, there there was uh, that was a car coming by. Uh, <laughs> Older garments that are cycling compatible uh, will still will be able to take the power data into in 
in the watch or uh, whatever unit they're using. But of course, won't won't be in pace terms. Uh, mm, it'll probably right. be in speed terms. Yeah. So yeah. now, uh, RPM Squared I know is just finishing up moving their product from Bluetooth uh, or uh, additionally adding from from Bluetooth to ANT Plus, which will allow it to work with most watches. Sunto is another is a is a really good brand that's 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 worked. Uh, well. I know they've been a partner with Stride to to be able to use their um, Use the product a little more seamlessly with a power channel in in a running mode. So that's that's been a good one. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's really improving almost almost by the day. Cool. Now, in terms of going out there and setting zones, you know, people who have got a bike power meter are fairly familiar with that. You know, you might go out and do a, a twenty minute time trial, and then you start looking at your race data, and you slowly start to to build your zones. Is it a similar sort of methodology with um, with with running? You know, would you go and do a five kilometer time trial on the flat, um, and then sort of set your zones based off that, or how, how do you sort of go about it? Is it significantly different to what you would do in uh, in cycling? So in my book, Run With Power, I talked about uh, ways for athletes to set a running functional threshold power. Um, so that that becomes uh, basically the just like with cycling for, for most people. I think most people probably use uh, Coggins zones mm. for cycling. Just I, you know, I kind of took that uh, that um, that model and and made the basis for my zones. And my zones are seven zones. Um, one, you know, yes, you can use zones. Absolutely. You can go out and run within zones here. Here's a few things that I think people are going to find when they, when they use a running power meter, especially if they're, if they're used to using a cycling power meter, the variance in power numbers and power values will not be anywhere near as high as they are. They are on a bike because you cannot coast at zero Watts mm-hmm. when running. So you're never gonna, you're not really gonna have those low power values, and you know, contrastly, uh, you're not going to have these very high power values because you're not. It's rare that you're ever sprinting all out in in a run. Mm-hmm. So you're 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 gonna have this much more condensed uh, range of power values to actually look at and work from. So, so it's nowhere near as large of ranges that you see in cycling. However. You know, because of that, you know, the areas are, are a lot more finite. You know, you can dial it in probably a little bit better. But what I'm what I'm finding, and one of the things that I teach in the book is, I think athletes at first are probably better off going out and just collecting the data, and then using it post run to really see. Okay, this was supposed to be a threshold run. Maybe this maybe this athlete wants to run. You know, as like a like a 50 minute 10 k. And they want to really try to do that. Well, that's going to be pretty close to your threshold zone. So, you know, maybe you're going to go out and work on it, work on your threshold pace. Well, how well is your threshold pace and threshold watts working? You know, are you if you're if you're really if you're really looking at that and targeting that in your training? Well, well, how effective were you post run at actually doing that um, in terms of the work? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think some of the other things that happen too is you know. Unlike unlike on a bike, you know, in running, as you become more inefficient, you start to maybe have higher vertical power and higher higher lateral power. Mm. 
and you have to work harder to hold the same pace. Well, well, power actually increases then as you fatigue. Mm. So, which is the opposite of what we find on the bike. On the bike, athletes are their power decreases as they fatigue. But that's remember again, power meters on a bike talk about effective power. You know how you know what's effectively being applied to the bike to move you forward versus on the run, how how effectively are the watch you're producing moving you forward? That's you know, that's the thing. So, but what happens then is that your efficiency just absolutely decreases biomechanically. So, so you have increased watts and decreased pace. So that's that, that speed per watt value that we've talked about greatly diminishes. Now, how much does it diminish? Well, that's individual. And that's some of the things you can really, really begin to see for yourself. Wow. In this half marathon, I, you know, I went out and I ran and boy, I, my watts barely raised until maybe the last mile I started to fall apart. Well, now you can see that, you know, whereas if that happens at mile eight, you, you know, those are, those are benchmarks you can do to kind of look at your training and see if you're improving. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yes, you can use zones and I talk about zones in the book. Um, but I think sometimes it's, it's better to just look at that, you know, continue, continue your own run training, learn about yourself post run mm. uh, and learn about how power values are specific to you because you may come in with this preconceived notion that oh I'm this way and then the power data is going to come in and tell you no nope, you're this mm. um, this is the type of runner you are here's where you're weak here's where you're strong so it, uh, I think it's always best for athletes to to just go and begin to collect power data learn about themselves and then later on down the road okay I see that my zones line up this way or that way now I can start using them uh, to, you know, if I want to, I can start running via power rather than pace, if that's really what you're, what you're interested in. So in cycling, we see some quite big differences to pay, depending on, um, the, the makeup of the athlete, you know, some bigger athletes, they can pump out some great numbers, um, uh, on the flat and then they go to the, go and do like a hill. So they're going to do a 20 minute time trial on the flat and then they go and do a, a 20 minute hill time trial and they're able to produce a lot more power, um, when they're climbing. So what, what are you sort of seeing in terms of what people can produce on, on hills versus the flat and, and a bit like cycling, do you have sort of different zones or, or analyze things differently with uphill and downhill? I mean, you talked about the vertical oscillation is going to be greater when you're going uphill, but what else should people look at when they're looking at hill running versus flat running? Well, you know, John, that's an awesome question. And the, <laughs> and the, and the, real, the real truth is that I don't have an answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> yet. Yeah. Um, I do. And, and also because it's, again, it's going to be very individual. Um, one athlete, you know, it, your watt per kilo is going to, is going to probably, you know, affect that your biomechanics are going mm-hmm. to affect that. Um, you know, I came into, I came into looking at running with power thinking that watt per kilo was the, was going to be the, the metric. And I quickly realized that no, watt per kilo really is not the key metric. It, yes, it helps and it can, it, it can be a good, good marker for helping athletes see, uh, you know, whether they're good at hill running potentially or, or not, but, uh, really I realized speed per watt is the, is the real value that's, that's most important. Obviously when you go uphill and downhill, you know, that speed per watt value is going to change dramatically, but you know, how much, well, you know, I, I think, I think what it could do is an athlete can begin to understand, you know, and this this is the stuff that we we can only learn post because we're still just you know post run post season. 
well, because we're still just learning about this, but maybe an athlete finds, man, when I can only spend so much time over zone zone five, and man, I fall apart. So you know, a few surges into zone six, uh, you know, zone seven, and I'm in I'm in some trouble. Um, you know, so you know, just just like any athlete uh, on a bike, mm. uh, there you know, some some athletes can handle big surges and and still recover fairly quickly. Some can't. So it, it is entirely individual in that sense. Um, you know, athletes can, can begin to learn about themselves based upon some of these. Uh, and, and of course, course dependent, you know, what was the course that you're actually running and where did these hills, if we're talking about hills, happen in the race? Um, how well did you hold back? So, and I think, I think those are all things that, uh, for, again, for an athlete to learn, uh, it's, it's definitely individual and they're going to have to go back and learn, okay, and, and make some assumptions and apply them to themselves. You know, this is such, this is such a new technology that there are, you know, power meters in cycling have been along for so long. Like we know, okay, you should be, you're probably going to be between 170 and 190 in, uh, in a half Ironman for your bike TSS. You're going to be probably between, you know, 260 to 300 in an, in an Ironman for your bike TSS. We don't know that for running. Mm-hmm. We absolutely don't know that at all um, because uh, it's uh, it's still so new and we, st- we don't have enough sample sizes to really, to really prove or make any clear assumptions in terms of TSS. Um, I did try to do that in the, in the book, but I did it mostly upon TSS per minute. Uh, and, and in a time range, that's, that's really the thing. I mean, I think we all know the, the harder, the, the longer the event, the less, the less intensity, intensity you can actually hold. Mm-hmm. So that brings the, the TSS per minute value down. So I made some assumptions and, and things and talked about that in the book. But, uh, you know, as athletes begin to, to really see, well, yeah, I'm a very efficient runner. Well, okay. Then, then you're probably going to be on the higher end of these ranges, you know, or lower end of these ranges, just depending on what we're talking about in terms of ratios or applying values to stay within or ranges. So, so yeah, uh, that's a long way of saying I don't know. <laughs> um, we had a few questions in from some listeners. Carl Trout, we've kind of answered a, a bit of this, but he says, when, when will Garmin slash Training Peaks get on board and currently what is the best, most practical, automatic way to get the data along with my current training data metrics into Training Peaks? So so I guess he's asking, is, is Training Peaks is sort of um, fully on board? Um, Garmin, you mentioned Sunto. Is there anything else you want to sort of comment on around... Um, obtaining the data and, and actually being able to view it in the most practical way. Yeah, that's you know those are those are good questions. Uh, I think well, first of all, if you if you if you're if you're connecting your Garmin to with your Training Peaks account, chances are, uh, if you have one of the newer ones, when you walk into your home, as soon as it gets mm-hmm. within Bluetooth range, it automatically uploads. Um, into Garmin Connect, and Garmin Connect then sends it to Training Peaks. What athletes tend to find is that it ought, like, now this is still kind of new, so I, I'm still kind of looking, but a lot of my athletes are still using older Garmins. So those are coming in as bike files, and so you have to change the, the file into a run file and recalibrate it, um, refresh, you know, recalculate. You can actually do that. And I wrote something on Training Peaks blog about how to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the other things though, that you can do, that's the online software training peaks, uh, WKO four, 
is a is a pretty cool tool that I I think uh, you know there's there's more and more coming out with it. Um, another product is Golden Cheetah. Golden Cheetah is really starting to to uh, to embrace uh, power for running, and that's that's a free free off offline product. Um, you know, I don't work for Garmin or Training Peak, so I don't really have much say um, in what they do and how they do it. But uh, you know, I I did I did use a lot of Training Peaks for the book, um, so so certainly uh, there's there's some there's some value that can be that can be uh, you know, gain from, from that, you utilizing that software. And of course it stores the data that you can probably later go back, pull and in, in, import into some other program offline if you'd like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, uh, you know, Sunto is, like I say, is probably a little bit easier. I'm not fully sure about the, this, the Sunto process because I don't use, I use a Sunto and, and the majority of uh, my athletes are using Garmin. Mm-hmm. currently so uh and i haven't i haven't really gone to look at it it's changed so much but uh mm-hmm. you know the, one of the cool things though is uh, I, I can tell you with sunto and with and with uh garmin there's also some some apps uh that have been created and i've shared those on my blog uh at coachvance.com that where athletes can can import that speed per watt metric uh where it'll give them an ei or what I call a rolling eye when, uh, in, in, in the book as well. So there's, there's some options with stuff there. Cool. And um, one final question I've got here from um, Arno in Singapore. He's, you know, and I'm sure you coach athletes in hot environments. You know, when he's uh, out running in Singapore at a X you know, heart rate of 135, his pace is five minute 15 per k. When he goes to a more cooler climate, say he goes to do a race in Australia, then he's down at sort of 4:30 pace um, for the same you know, um, heart rate. For guys in, in hot climates, is is there any um, you know game breaker for them in terms of using using um a running power meter well yeah i again i you know i wish i could give this person a a distinct answer and value oh just stay within this and (laughs) and you'll be fine but really because it goes down to speed per watt um you know it really is going to vary uh you know how efficient is this is this runner uh, in general, um, what's the range of watts that they're really looking at in order to produce that pace? Wh- at what point do they begin to break down? Mm. Um, there's there's so much to learn, um, and that's you know in the book I, I showed you know I, I showed three different athletes and all doing the same workout, and the one who produced the least watts was actually the fastest. The one, the, the one that had the best watt per kilo was not the fastest. So it was, you know, there's, there's all these variants. So, so much about power right now is for running is about learning about yourself and, and learning your own, you know, your own thresholds and values. Well, I find that if, you know, if, if I, if I get to this in this, in these hotter temperatures, I have to stay below this speed per watt value. Because if I, you know, or if I go above it, I'm in some trouble or, you know, it could, it could be the exact opposite. So it's, it's just, there's so much to learn in terms of, terms of how this data applies to individuals, because I can tell you, I I thought it was going to be nice and universal. You know, that's the great thing about cycling. Well, we know if you have this watt per kilo, you're a pretty darn good cyclist. Well, I don't even know what a good what a good efficiency index number is an EI, which is the speed per watt, mm. because there's still so many different types of athletes out there that I'm still learning learning about. So, uh, yeah, there 
It really is about collecting data and then looking back and, and trying to learn and make inferences based upon that. Um, and, and I think in about, you know, in four years time, you know, this, 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 this whole technology and this data, you know, we'll, we'll have, we'll have much more samples and, and seasons and races to look at and really know like, okay, here we go. We can, we can look at this and say, this is where you, this is about where you should be. This is about where you should, should, should or shouldn't be. Um, so, but there's, there's still so much to learn. It's, uh, I mean, it's it's daunting and it's exciting at the same time. Fantastic. Okay, guys, so the book's called Run With Power, The Complete Guide to Power Meters for Running and by Jim Vance. Um, so, Jim, if people want to find out more, obviously they'll go read the book, but in terms of where they can actually get it and in terms of following you, because I imagine things are moving all the time, as you've said, um, where can people sort of follow you and, and also get copies of the book? Sure, well, obviously at coachvance.com. I have them, um, you know, I sell those within the United States and you can buy them from all your major retailers online or bookstores. Um, and uh, there's even the ebook versions out for those that don't want to wait and have it shipped. Um, but yeah, there's, there's all sorts of, uh, there's all sorts of ways for it. But have you read the book yet, John? I've got it sitting here and I had it made. Bevan was a very slow on the uptake in terms of delivering it down to me, so I made sure I had a skim read before uh, before we chatted, but it's going to be sitting on my bookstand and in the pile of books for me to read. So, but, I, but as you said, you know, the key thing for me is, is, is getting my hands on um, one of the power meters and actually just gathering the data and, and learning on the fly as well. So, guys, I think these, you know, books like this, and we've had um, Joe Freel and stuff, they're sort of, your, you know, they, they encapsulate everything you need to need need to know you know it tells you about the, a lot of the stuff we've talked about you know defining power how to get started um, and sort of working through the process of setting your intensities and, and a lot of the terminology so uh, yes I am looking forward to getting my uh, getting stuck into it and that may well be one of the books that I try to read en route to Kona where we'll uh, hopefully catch up with you Jim in terms of your um, racing and training you up to much yourself or not Oh, I'm just trying to stay somewhat fit and keep up with my two boys. I have a four, a four going on five year old and a 19 month old. So, uh, and my five year old, well, my kid who's going to be five, he's he's just now starting to really jump into triathlon. Loves coming to tri practice and riding his bike with all the big kids, and it's hilarious. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm busy with that right now. Make sure you take your wetsuit to Kona, and you can come and join us in the uh, the wetsuit aquathon. That sounds good. I'll, sounds I'll keep good. you informed. Jim, thanks awesome. so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks for sharing all that fantastic knowledge. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. We are back. Now, John does this interview tomorrow. We're actually recording on Monday, team. He's doing this Tuesday, but I release it on Tuesday, but that's how we roll. Uh, I did enjoy the book. I thought there's some really interesting aspects around what the book's recommending. A lot of the power stuff, if you know your cycling terminology around power a lot of it does cross over there are some differences but the thing I found and I'm sure you talked about this in the interview with him was the ability to be able to assess technique through the tools that power offers us you know so he talks about the different planes of lateral horizontal and um, vertical and the ability to be able to see what's happening in those planes has a massive kind of can make me change my technique in a way that makes me much more efficient in my running so yeah good stuff uh, hopefully like I've been chance have you tried a tool yet no, no, I'm waiting on one. Yeah, because I, I wouldn't mind trying it as well because I'm really fascinated to see 
how how good the tools are because it seems like his book's really good but the one thing the book does lack is what what are the tools like or where are the tools you know and it's yeah. and i don't think he's trying to hit that market to kind of say here's the tools we should be using because i think he's future thinking with the book but at yeah. the same time uh uh, you know, I want to. I want to see how the tools are. If they're actually really accurate, and if they're their value. You know, it's kind of like when Power Meter came out on a bike ten years ago. You know, they yeah. were a bit of a waste of space back in those days, weren't they? Absolutely. Yeah. So not anymore. Not anymore, John. Not anymore. Okay, John. Science geek out. I did that for you. Science people who've got science backgrounds probably listening to this and they'll go cringe. John doesn't know what he's talking about. But basically what I'm doing is uh, summarizing a few papers that I've sort of read through. And uh, this week's one won't be excessively long because it pretty much backs up what I talked about last week. So there's two extra studies that I did, and these were both by people out of uh, Cape Town University. So very active down there with, with Tim Noakes kind of leading the show down there. And they often use Ironman South Africa as a one of their sort of places where they do a lot of their analysis uh, and I remember when I did Ironman South Africa did I say this last week um, and it was in 2001 I think it was and I wasn't in a very good state after that race and uh, they needed to check my core body temperature yeah, and they didn't do it through my armpit or oh, didn't, no, didn't no, do it through my armpit or my mouth this. yeah so it was so what uh, is they your pants how does that work yeah you kind of just bent over in the fetal position and uh <laughs> And away she goes. It's just called body temperature. Wow. So anyway, two studies, extra studies that I looked at. One was by um, a guy called Sulzner from South Africa, and they looked at serum electrolytes in Ironman triathletes with ex-associated, exercise-associated muscle cramps, and they did that in 2000. It's a pretty small sample mm. um, of 20 athletes, and 11 of them cramped and nine did not. And they pretty much had the same findings that we had from last week where there was no significant difference between the groups in terms of weight loss and electrolyte concentration. There was a bit of a difference in terms of the sodium levels between the, the cramp and the non-cramp group, but it was still very much within the normal clinical range of post-race sodium concentration. So then, again, that was another study of Ironman athletes really looking at whether their sodium levels was influencing whether they cramped or not. And in this case, as per last week, there was no sort of correlation between cramping and uh, your sodium levels. The second one that I looked at was by a guy called Schwellness, and it was also from South Africa, and they looked at a group of 72 runners doing a 56-kilometer running race in South Africa. It's called the Two Oceans Marathon. You hear Tim Noakes talking about that race a little bit. And of those 72 runners that they looked at, 42 had a history of cramping, 27 did not. The group was only males in the age of 20 to 60, and they all needed to have a reasonable amount of running experience. So two and a half years running experience, because we know that you know for, for complete newbies, the chances of them, them cramping just through you know, not having the um, muscle memory and, and so on from, from training, the chance of them cramping is a lot higher. They basically did the same things as, as the other guys. They took pre- and post-race um, blood samples and then they took another one 60 minutes after the race and again same findings was the blood was sort of tested for your sodium levels there was no relationship or any clinical significant changes in serum sodium concentrations or any other electrolytes that they sort of monitored and they also found in that study that there was no relationship between dehydration and cramps so 
of those first three studies that I looked at, really the findings that came out of them is that um, what determines whether you cramp or not from what the information they gathered was is nothing to do related to your electrolyte balance. And the people that did cramp had a history of muscle cramping and their race pace was uh, was basically a little bit too aggressive relative to the people that they finished around and relative to the training that they'd done. So I guess what this all says is uh, don't need to worry about your electrolytes when you go out there racing. So would you, so don't you have electrolytes? That's what the research is saying. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's there's a huge amount of anecdotal research out there just from, from coaches, from nutritionists, from just people observing things and they just say you need to have you need to have sodium, look at your sweat, you're you're covered in sweat, you need to be having it. But as far as all the science says, it says uh, it really does not make any difference at all. And and they measure the sodium and you look at pre and post race and there's just there's just about no difference. Mm. So I've got a few a few more to come. But uh, I will warn you that it's all pretty consistent. Mm, so of seven papers that I looked at, uh, all of them pretty much did the same thing. So does that influence what you're doing? Yeah, it does. Um, it just it, 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 what's not answered is you know really what's causing this cramping to, to happen. You know, yes, they say well you've got a history of cramping, but why does it? Why does person X have a history of cramping? If they get their pacing right, you know, that's what you yeah, need to take well, out of the equation. So, so often it is poor pacing and poor preparation. But is that the case in every single circumstance? I'd like to see a study where maybe they look at a group of athletes that um, have paced themselves yeah. uh, comparably. Yeah. And so you, you can run four-minute Ks for, forever and then you actually go out in a day and you, and you chuck some variables in there to see if it influences it in different ways, like heat and stuff like that, and then – to see if that actually does make a difference because yeah because these both both the studies you've talked about so far have kind of pointed the finger at poor race racing basically uh mm. you know but i'm sure there's lots of people listening right now who've probably had really what like shit i look at my road my road my last road the 905 uh <laughs> when i look at my last road um i raced it's really smart like i swam within my zones i, I bike easy like I, I think i rode 455 and i was well up to maybe a 445 back in those days and mm. then and, and and even in the run, I just stuck to my plan. I was like, and I think I trained like a, my training was saying I could do those times, and you know, and cramp got me that day. So, you know, who knows? But it is a it's a mystery, John. It's a mystery. It is. Okay, John. By my first try, we got my first try. This is by Tony Buckingham. He got back from New Zealand after travelling around the world for a year with a little bit out of shape, and a few of his mates were doing a triathlon. They got him along. Good old Matt Bad Boy Berg and Steve. Iceberg, that's a good name, isn't it? That's pretty good. I brought his first wetsuit on a Wednesday before the race, went for a first ocean with swim that night, and then got a big rash on his neck, travelled to Rotorua uh, for the National Race Series race, slept in a tent. That's not a great strategy, is it? Sleeping yeah. in a tent. No. They do that in road because it's, lots of people sleep in the campgrounds close to this race start. I was really cold, super nervous, no sleep. Got up in the morning, early start to the race Olympic distance, swam like a brick in a panic attack the whole way, uh, made my way through the field on the bike, even passing Doughboy. Wow, oh, he broke his chain. I was going to say, that's pretty impressive, but he broke his chain. Uh, came into transition as my mates were leaving. Thought, yep, the run is my strength. Now, uh, now the Watson, Mark Watson quote. Now, for those who don't know, 
Mark Watson is a famous, well, famous, infamous, <laughs> infamous, <Yeah. laughs> infamous sports uh, radio kind of host in New Zealand. He's actually, he's, he's, and he likes to push the edge. He's, he's a controversial kind of character, but one of his favorite saying is confuse ambition with ability. And uh, so he cranked about 300 meters into the run and was a very slow walk home from there, but loved it. In my first race, I was hooked 10 years ago and still racing. Now I live in Penticton, Canada, and have been doing racing. It did the ITU long course race distance championship in 2017 so there you go Tony Buckingham yeah first race should have taken a bit of salt on that run shouldn't he bit of sodium yeah he needed his electrolyte yeah <laughs> studies say um yeah. okay John sponsor athlinks.com one area that um I haven't I haven't got any research to hand to pull out but we do is it, is it, it's not athlinks.com it's, it's endurance Oh, xendurance.com. Yeah. 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 Um, one area that we should try and pull out some research because uh, I have heard lots of it is around your Omegas and how beneficial they can be to you. So Xendurance have got the Omega and it's the anti-inflammatory. Many people don't realize but most of our debilitating diseases can be tracked back to an inflammatory cause. Inflammation is what causes the pain of arthritis, the discomfort of allergies, the wheezing of asthma, and the stiffness from overuse of your muscles. Inflammation also underlies the most uh, devastating and catastrophic of all diseases, heart disease, Alzheimer's disease, and many forms of cancer. So um, the omega-3s promotes cardiovascular health, reduces inflammation, promotes a whole bunch of other things, good brain function. So check it out, xendurance.com. Remember to use the promo code IMTALK. 10 and you get 10% discount off and uh, job's good in. Now, John, but with the Omega Freeze, and this is me pulling a memory from an article I read a while ago, you've got to make sure you keep them in the fridge. It's mm -hmm. really important you keep them, keep them cool. So if you do have your, your, you know, your Omegas and all the rest of it, make sure you keep it in a place where it's in a cool environment because they actually lose your effect if they're kept in a warm environment. That's, uh, now, tell me if I'm wrong, somebody, but I'm pretty sure I read something about that a while ago, so it's really important. Yeah, but then you don't want it to freeze, so it's kind of that fine line of being in a fridge that won't freeze them. So just something to think about if you are going to get some Omega from uh, good old X Endurance. Guys, if you want to go to X Endurance, go to xendurance.com. They ship in lots of countries around the world. If you want to get it in Australia and New Zealand, you can even catch up with Coach John, and he'll get some through to you as well. So X Endurance, they rock. Okay, Jonbo, we have got no questions and answers, so but you have got some. We've got some. We've got some patrons. We have. And our, our, our first patron is Carl Trout. And I thought we've got to go somewhere on the fishing angle here. Okay. I'm not much of a so fisherman, John. Can you fish? But I've, gone, I've gone hooker. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Or well, have we had a hooker before? Carl the hooker trout. Or hooker or catch the big one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or hooker. Okay, hooker. <laughs> I, was just, just, I wasn't sure if we've had a hooker before. I haven't had a hooker before, Bevan. Have you had a hooker before? <laughs> well, there's a long story, John. <laughs> okay, okay. Carl the hooker trout. Okay, Phil Scott. Um, yes. I'm going to call him now. This is this is this is a funny one. Well, it's a funny. It's a story. You think of this? <laughs> the rich uncle. The rich uncle, and there's a story behind this one. The rich uncle. You can take it down. So, I've got a, an uncle Phil, and Uncle Phil was a nice guy, but he's had an an unfortunate life in some ways, John. An unfortunate life, and that's all I'm going to say because he's, he's the blood. Uh, and so my nickname for him has always been Rich Uncle Phil, and uh, and because it's kind of a contradiction, if you know what I mean. And so, uh, so Rich Rich Uncle, the Rich Uncle Phil, Rich Uncle Phil. Yeah, there nice. we go. And the next one we had uh, Grant Baxter, 
he uh, I always asked people to send him a little bit about them and he said I've always been skinny never really fit in 2012 I started running more frequently and found I had was quite good at it my running partner was a keen triathlete who quickly got quickly got me into the sport I had to learn how to swim I could do the survival doggy paddle but forget about swimming 50 meters and also had to buy a bike by 2016 I've done a bunch of shorter distance races and two 70.3s as well as the awesome uh, Lidingo Loppet Trail Run in Sweden uh, 2016 will culminate in Ironman Wales oh, good luck you're racing Ironman Wales this weekend then. oh good you good thing nice and quite a few bears and then 2017 is focused a little more on running races and shorter distance triathlons mixing things up to keep it fresh always a good idea so he, because he was skinny he sort of mentioned he was skinny I've gone for Skeletor oh nice Skeletor, skeletal, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. I loved yes. it. I had all the figurines. I was right into that stuff, John. I tell nice. you, it was my life. Okay, next up we have James Walton. James Walton. I live in Dubai. I'm racing Ironman and 70.3 races uh, with a full distance PB of 9.47 in Frankfurt this past summer. Well done. It's a pretty good effort. Uh, I also have a mobile app called Stick, uh, Stick App, but it's spelled S-T-Y-C-K stickat.com which is aimed at getting people to move more throughout the day by offering rewards and from sponsors for users hitting movement goals that's a cool idea absolutely yeah it's a great idea okay and so okay what do you what, what do you call nickname for this one Stick. um it's actually ben walton he had two names on there it's actually ben walton not james walton okay i think that must be one of his middle names so it's ben walton okay um no you've got to come up with one there bevan okay i'm going to call him um, oh, Mr. Entrepreneur. There you go. Mr. Entrepreneur. <laughs> Mr. E. Mr. E, there you go. Or Mr. E. Mr. E, there we go. We've probably got a mystery already, but Mr. Entrepreneur, because look at him, he comes up with an idea and he makes it happen, John. He ships, as Seth Godden would yes. say. He ships. So there we Great. go. The movement, movement. You guys, The website's pretty flash, guys, if you want to check it out. So you can go get his app at stickapp.com. Okay, John sponsors athletics.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And they include many amazing people like the ones we've named today. If you want to become a patron of the show, you go to www.iamtalk.me and it's all go. We actually, one of the patrons, uh, did we tell the story of the person who won the prize, John? No, not at the stage, no. Oh, well, well, we're getting a new website, John. And one yeah. of, there's a big reason because one of the patrons is amazing. So we'll talk about that later. Okay, John Boy, what's your goss? What's my goss? Um, yeah. Hopefully back to a little bit of normality this week. Yeah. Um, Blender's home. Do you have a new respect for your wife now? Do you a newfound respect? I just worship the ground <laughs> that she walks on every day that we live, Bevan. I always knew that about you. Yeah, I can yeah. still always tell. Yeah. Booked my flights to Rote the other week, last yeah, week. Yeah, I saw so you did that. Good, good to go for that. You got a deal, Booked I see? Flights for, beg your pardon? Did you get a deal? Always get a deal, Bevan. Always get a deal. Book my flights for uh, a Kona camp next year at um, sort of May time. Still got some space on that camp. If anybody's keen to come over to Kona, do the 70.3, cruise around the island. We've got a good group of people going, so that's going to be in May. It's going to be awesome. If you want to kickstart your season for your Northern Hemisphere athletes or um, or for your Southern Hemisphere athletes, give yourself a little treat at the end of the season. It's a fantastic race of 70.3 over there. Plus, you get to see uh, all different parts of the island, and uh, we've got a great group. So check it out at epiccamp.com. Um, outside of this week, that even uh, <coughs> this week, uh, just 
stand on top of things a couple of weeks till we go to Kona. So I've got to start getting myself organised in terms of who we're going to be interviewing over there. When do you, when do you actually go? Because you've got your camp beforehand. I'm going on the 29th of September. I'm on the, I think I'm leaving the 4th, so I'm like a week after you. Oh, so it's mm-hmm. real going to come awesome for you. It is indeed. Final round of the JD Duathlon coming up in a couple of weeks. If anybody local, this sounds like John's bloody advertising service. Oh, nice. but, um, Story of the show. Of that, there really wasn't much going on the last week because it was really a case of uh, looking after the kiddies, trying to stay on top of work, squeezing in little bike rides wherever I did. Uh, did a really good series on Trainer Road. If you remember back when they were sponsoring the show, we had the Trainer Road Challenge. It was yep. a 10-session challenge that we worked through, and I've worked my way through that over the last sort of uh, – 10 to 14 days been good little good little targets and hard sessions in there uh, I wasn't able to complete all of them in terms of the duration but if you need a little kick in the pants um, it's a good good way to go and also we had our, um, our soccer prize giving on oh time. nice nice and uh, so the team yeah you do a player of the team and yeah. a team player etc was it hard to do um, moderately hard. A few of the other coaches copped out a bit, and I, perhaps it would have been a good idea. You got the kids and parents and stuff to vote on um, sort of player. Oh, but I, okay. I, I kind of chose them. And um, they're going through, and then they do this presentation at the end, and they say, oh, we've got a special presentation here, and it's for a fair play award. And um, me and a guy who helped me out with the coaching out of the whole club, this is a big club, yeah. got given this award. God knows how they chose it. I think they plucked a bloody name out of the hat. But uh, we Don't discredit yourself, there. John. Don't discredit yourself. You're, you're a fair player. That's where you roll. Okay. So that was my weekend. Bevan, what's, and one other thing, Bevan, you get, when, once your music comes out, I'm looking at getting some video work done for the two events that I'm putting on this summer. So yep. the House of Travel yep. Triathlon Festival and the Sovereign Sea to Sky. Yep. I'm getting a company in probably to do a little bit of video work. I'm going to need some music to put over the top. So let's oh. see if your music's up to the standard. Okay, man. It's, it's, expect your races to sell out. That's all I'm saying, John. Expect them to sell out. I have to say, years ago, I played rugby league, and I was, I, I, was a, I was a good player in a really bad team, if you know what I mean. So our team was, because basically it was all white boys. Now, for those who don't know much about rugby league in New Zealand, rugby league is kind of, it's, it's a bit more of the, the uh, island, island people will do it, a lot more of the Māori people will do it, and not so many of the white boys will do it, if you know what I mean. And so in Christchurch in particular, uh, we had maybe eight teams in our division, and we were kind of the only white team. And uh, the thing about it was, is that most of the boys who played in the other teams, this is when I'm like 13, you know, like that age, they, they were men, John. They were men. You know what I mean? Like they, they had beards and I didn't even have pubes. So it, was, it wasn't a good time in my life. But uh, I think when I was about 16, one year, now not that I'm upset, John, but one year, I got player of the day eight times in the year. So mm-hmm. eight times in the year, did I get player of the year, John? No, I did not, and yeah. I was slightly upset about that because how can a guy who gets a player of the day eight times in the year not get player of the year? So I was a little bit disappointed in that one. Just not that. Hey, I've let go. I've let it go. It certainly does not sound like you I've have. Let it go. You convinced yourself that you have. I got some fair play award. <laughs> yeah, you're crap, but you're crap. But here you go. Eight times. I couldn't believe it. Eight times player of the day. Anyway, uh, one other funny thing that happened. Going to the movies, fun day Friday, John. You rang me on fun day Friday, didn't you? I did ring you yeah, on fun day yeah. Friday. Went to the movies and uh, Joe, Joe, so for Joe's 40th, I shouted, well, I didn't shout her, I got her a trip to Disneyland because um, her whole family was, I think I talked, did I tell you about that? No. Okay, so for her 40th, her whole family, her whole family were going to Disneyland. So her sister, her children, and her husband, and her parents were going to Disneyland. And we talked about going, but I was going to be in Kona and, and also got the wedding coming up. So it was kind of like, I uh, can't make it work. 
And so I thought for her 40th, I'd get her a trip to Disneyland, which is cool. So, you know, it was a pretty cool moment when I gave her a present and all the rest of it. And she was quite surprised I could plan something of that level, but obviously, there's a mm. man of many talents. And then, uh, but Joe doesn't like flying, John. Flying, flying's not, you know, she's, it's a bit of a stress for Joe. And like literally, she'll be thinking about it like for three weeks out and, you know, and the weather's, you know, so it's a big thing for her to fly. Well, we'd go to the movies the other day and uh, we're driving the movies. And she goes, oh, because I said, one of the movies is a really good Tom Hanks movie out lately. Oh, nice one. So we're And Joe goes to me, so what's the movie about? And I was like, oh, no. And because it's the movie Scully, isn't it? Scully. Yeah. Um, About the guy who's landed the plane on the Hudson, which I actually really enjoyed. I thought it was a really good film. Uh, Not the best movie to take to a person who doesn't like flying. That's all I'm going to say. So didn't think that one through, John. Didn't think it through. Not my sharpest moment. So... There you go. So if you are, if you you know, don't take your two partner to a movie in an era of his life, you know that. Therefore, just this is number one. Especially when they've got impending travel coming up. Exactly, a big trip. So she came out of the movie. She was, she was a little bit in a funny place. She goes, "I'm definitely going to have to get drugs for this fight." So, so there we go. Special final announcement for today. Uh, I've got swim caps coming, Bevan. I saw we've that. Got our, we've got I Am Talk swim caps um, for our patrons. So if you come in at a, at a $10 level, you get a swim cap. If you come in at $20, you get a swim cap and a beanie. Um, but what we're going to have, they hopefully be delivered in Kona, is the, the, the plan schedule. For years, we talked about, you know, being rewarded for different levels of um, for a while time. we used to talk about the show, didn't we? Yeah and, yeah, and sort of a gold, silver, bronze level. Mac has talked about it before as well. And so I've had some swim camps uh, hopefully getting printed at the moment in association with Blue 70, and they're all going to have a little um, little text on them. So on one side you have Blue 70, on the other side we'll have our I Am Talk logo, and then you'll be have like a gold cap will be a Kona killer, a silver cap will be an elite animal, and so a Kona killer will be guys sub nine hours, girls sub 10 hours, and then after that it sort of goes in one hour bracket. So an elite animal will be a sub 10 hour male athlete and a sub 11 female and then your bronze cap for the Polani predator will be sub 11 for the guys sub 12 for the girls and then it goes on for a couple more levels after that so looking forward to getting those distributed and um in terms of the wetsuit aquathon this year in kona looking at doing that thursday morning after the underpants run so people can do the underpants run wearing next to nothing and then roll on down to the pier and uh planning on doing the wetsuit aquathon oh, so, so we do it straight afterwards Pretty much, once the crowds have dispersed a bit. Uh, so that's the current plan. So if you're going to Kona and you're not racing, make sure you take your wetsuit. If you are racing, it's going to be pretty close to race day. You're welcome to come and do it, uh, and we encourage you and embrace you for being there, but you probably don't want to max it out too much on the Thursday morning uh, before before the race. Good times, guys. It's going to be a good time. Kona's coming up really soon. We're always excited to get there. So, team, uh, check that out. Okay, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Kia kaha.